big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. This is Becca. This is Molly. Before we get into this episode of Pod and Prejudice, we wanted to let you guys know that we launched our website. Yes, so with the help of icon and legend Torrance Brown, it is now live at podandprejudice.com. If you want to learn about our team or download some new episodes, send us an email or subscribe to our Patreon. All of it is in that one place, podandprejudice.com, and you can find us there. Thanks, y'all. Enjoy this week's episode. Yesterday, I was with Torrance and this other girl, and I told her, oh, Torrance designed our logo. And she looked at it. And she's like, oh, that kind of looks like you. <laughs> so Listen. I'm, I'm Jane Austen now. Hello. Welcome to our ASMR podcast. Pleasing sound. Pleasing sound. Pleasing sound. Ah! <laughs> I leaned in to say cellar door and Becca just screlted. Hey, hey, hey. I will not stand for this defamation of me. I did not screlt that. did not screlt. She just yelled. I supported that with breath. You're right. Hello, everyone. I'm Molly. I'm Becca. And welcome back to Pod and Prejudice. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. Yes, and we have a very special episode today, not the least of which, we literally have a mic stand made of five books right now. (laughs) We're on my bed because my room has better acoustics than Molly's room, but Molly's room has a little bit more room for two chairs, so instead we're sitting on my bed and our mic is on several books, and you can learn a lot about me based on which books we're using. I have two complete works of William Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. my Black's Law Dictionary, Check. A regular dictionary. Check. And the Torah. (laughs) Oh, it's perfect. Yes, somehow. Stack of Becca. Oh, God, that sounds gross. I don't know why that sounds gross. But it it does. It does. You're not wrong. It does, weirdly. But we're not here to talk about any of the five books I just named, even though two of them are the same book. (laughs) (laughs) We're here to talk about Pride and Prejudice by our girl, Jane Jane Austen. We're going to talk about chapters 9 through 11 of volume the second of this book. These chapters are juicy. (laughs) These chapters, if there was an episode before this where I said this was the wildest chapter yet, I was wrong before. I mean, I guess I wasn't wrong before because it was the wildest chapter to that point, but this is the wildest chapter in the book. The whole book up until this point has been building to this section of the book, and it all comes together in a mess of disaster and sexual tension. Yeah, to give you an idea of how strongly I responded to this this (laughs) section, I was reading it at a coffee shop um, on the Upper West Side. Which, which, 
What? I just <laughs> never eat slimy worms. Oh, oh my god. I do I do never eat shredded wheat. Oh. <laughs> Why would you never eat shredded wheat? Well, because shredded wheat's kind of gross. I mean, not as gross as slimy worms. Yeah. I like shredded wheat. This is a PSA from sports uh, person. Oh Molly my gosh. Burdick. Wheaties. Sponsor us. Yes. Um, anyway, I was on the Upper West Side of the coffee shop eating a bagel, drinking a coffee, and reading Pride and Prejudice. And I was so into it. I was gasping. I had my hands over my face. I was like squealing. I was selfieing with the book. And. And I was just like so out there that the people sitting next to me had to ask, are you just reading Pride and Prejudice for fun or are you a student? And I was like, I have a podcast. Did you flip your hair? For those of you who don't know Molly in person, Molly has pretty short hair, so it's actually kind of a feat if she is able to flip her hair when she says things. Whenever I say something that requires a hair flip, I do the motion. Without the hair. hair. I just go, (laughs) you know, brush it off. So, So you're flipping air and going, I have a podcast. Yes. Anyway, I think that they downloaded it afterwards. So. Oh my gosh, if you're the guys who were sitting near Molly in the coffee shop while she was reading these chapters, <laughs> shout out. Yeah, thank you so much. And also they invited me into their book club. I found out why Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson broke up. Why? He cheated on her with Helena Bonham Carter. <gasps> no! Yes. First of all, the set of Harry Potter must have been a disaster. I want to know how many other affairs there were on that set. Like, who was fucking who? I just need to know. I personally think Emma Watson and Tom Felton might be... <laughs> oh, sure. Right now? Yeah. Right now? Which oh, is right great. now, apparently. Oh, yeah, no, oh, no. Oh, Tom Felton had, like, a girlfriend <laughs> during the entire filming of Harry Potter, and Emma Watson had a crush on him during that time. And all the other guys had a crush on Emma Watson. Of course. And And all the girls, too. Now, Tom Felton and his girlfriend have broken up, and he keeps posting Insta stories of him and Emma Watson hanging out. And I'm like, did she score her childhood crush? (gasps) Oh, my God. I really hope so. More importantly, did Tom Felton score Emma Watson? Yeah. (laughs) Oh. I mean, he's he's good looking, but you know who was the best glow up from Harry Potter? Rupert Grint. What? Oh, I wasn't going to (laughs) say Rupert Grint. Who were you going to say? Matthew Lewis. I mean, they literally named going through puberty well long bottoming <laughs> i didn't know that but like yeah. correct you know who else grew up really well and people who, who else giving... long bottomed yeah no she didn't long bottom per se she was always adorable and then got hot but i mean bonnie wright is amazing oh, superstar yeah. additionally climate activist she and ivana lynch together <sighs> vegan climate activists just my general heroes love y'all you know, I was a big shipper of Harry and Ginny when I read the Harry Potter books. And, That's, you know, and you were right, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> and I am to this day. That being said, had Ginny and Harry not been so well matched, I would have Ginny shipped and Luna. the fuck out of Ginny and Luna. Hell yeah. And oh I my mean, god, they were like friends from the beginning. And like, the, it's just great. It's like the jockey girl goes for like the weird, quirky, soft one. Oh my god, there's, I mean, okay, wow. There's absolutely fan fiction about this, but not any that I've read, so. We know what Molly's doing after this podcast. Anyway, Jane Austen. Jane Austen. So (laughs) we're all hyped up because these chapters are wild. Wild. But I knew they were wild walking in. Molly was the one. I didn't know they were wild, and I read the chapters sometime last week, and then was going back through them last night to type up my notes, and just revamping everything i've just been feeling a lot of feelings so i'm really excited to get into it really quick where we left off we're at hunsford with lady catherine the bug and lizzie's living with the collinses mr collins continues to be yikes but we see that charlotte is generally happy 
And then Darcy, Darcy shows up. With Fitzy. With Fitzwilliam something. Colonel Fitzwilliam. Colonel Fitzwilliam. <laughs> You're right. His last name is Fitzwilliam. Darcy's first name is Fitzwilliam. Have you ever met one of those people whose first name is like a family last name? Well, I know someone named Darcy. And not just the woman who plays Janet on The Good Place? And Darcy Carden. But I have a friend named Darcy also. I feel like there are definitely guys named like Smith. Or like Hunt. <laughs> Just the verb. <laughs> That's a last name. Yeah, or Hunter. Is Emily much... Hunt. <laughs> Emily Blunt. I don't know. Anyway, I, I think <laughs> that Darcy's first name is like a family last name. Okay, sure. Oh, okay. Like my friend whose first name is her mom's last name. Got is it. that your friend Darcy? No, I have a friend named Shaughnessy. <laughs> so that was literally what I was saying. It's like someone whose last name is a family. It like, took me a minute to get there. I'm so muddled right now, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on. I'm truly in rare form. Oh my god, this is going to be a wild record. Oh, this is a wild episode, so okay. that's where we've left off. Lizzie is sitting by herself the next morning because Charlotte and Maria are out for the day in town, and a visitor arrives. And my notes, I wrote in the corner, like, is it Darcy? Is it Darcy? And then it is Darcy. It is indeed Darcy. And he's by himself. Oh my god. Which is unprecedented. <laughs> This chapter gives me so much joy in my Darcy is a human disaster. He's such soul. a human disaster. He arrives and he's like, oh, uh, 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 I thought everyone was here. But then he comes in. It's one of those things where Lizzie is suspecting Colonel Fitzwilliam as having a little like thing for her because he visits so often. Right. And whenever guys visit often, they're doing that thing where they court. Right. Courtship. Exactly. You might remember from the first episode, I was like, oh yeah, there's all this like system in place mm -hmm. for them to court each other. So he is in his own way doing like the dance of the courtship. It's just one-sided. But it's also so poorly done. Yeah, like he arrives and he sits there and says nothing for 10 minutes. Exactly. Like, oh God, I, I didn't think you would be here alone. Shit. I can't even, like, do the pleasantries with Mrs. Collins. Right. And so she's just like, so you're here. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so I'm here. So then she's afraid that they're just going to sit there in silence. And so she thinks, you know, it's absolutely necessary that I think of something to talk about. And why not? Now's as good a time as ever. So she brings up the fact that they all left Netherfield by specifically saying, how very suddenly you all quitted Netherfield last November. How much time has passed? It's been six months, right? It's like the spring. Jane's been gone for that long. Let's map out this timeline. Remember how they were there for the summer and then like part of the fall? Yeah. And then what happened is Bingley and co left. Mm -hmm. And then you got like the gardeners coming for Christmas. And oh, all that yeah. Stuff. Wow. I forgot all of that. So it's been a few months and they keep being like, are the Bingleys going to come back? And then you have this longer correspondence between Lizzie and Jane. So months are passing and then... The, what's his face, Sir William mm -hmm. and his daughter. Well, not his daughter. She sticks with them. Sir William left. Yes, Maria's Sir William left. There. And Lizzie's still there with her. And so it's been like a long time. Like time has accumulated over these chapters. Yeah. So it's been like, I, I want to say this is like April. Okay. So then she kind of hints and says, Bingley must have been very happy to see them all so soon after he left for London. And then she asks how our... Bingley and his sisters and Darcy says they're doing well and she asks if it's true Bingley is never coming back to Netherfield just 
why not ask? And Darcy says he hasn't heard him say so, but he wouldn't be surprised since Bingley has a lot of friends and a lot of social obligations and he's just so popular. Again with this gaslighting that comes with the like, oh, nothing ever happened with Bingley. Right. It was so casual. It's like, that was one social obligation, and now he's on to other things. Have you ever talked to someone who's talking to you about someone you clearly had a thing with, and they're acting like you never had a thing with that person? Yes. It's always so weird. It's like, why are you saying this? You know it's kind of hurtful. Right. But we know why Darcy's saying it, because he's a dick. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> we will get there. Ooh. So. A lot of feelings. Lizzie returns this with a zinger and says, then he should probably just move. So they can get a new family settled in the house. But perhaps he didn't ever move there for the good of the neighborhood so much as for his own convenience. And he'll probably keep the house for his own convenience as well. Basically saying that he doesn't really care about other people. And Darcy says he wouldn't be surprised if he sells it as soon as possible. Heart drop to the stomach. It's just another bit of salt in the wound that Mm -hmm. is what happened to Jane. All very tragic. Yeah. Then they talk about some other things. They shit on Collins together a little bit. They talk about how Charlotte seems to be happy regardless. One of the most endearing Darcy moments so far in this book is recognizing that Charlotte is awesome. Yes, it was nice. He's like, yeah, he really couldn't have done better than Charlotte. She definitely is better than him. And you're I, just yeah, like, they have yeah. something to bond over to there. I mean, nothing is bonding like shitting on people. Yeah. So Darcy comments on how it's nice that she gets to live so close to her family. And Lizzie's like, what are you talking about? This is 50 miles away. It's not very near at all. And Darcy says, well, that's proof that you're too attached to Hertfordshire. Which we found out is pronounced Hertfordshire. Shout out to Zach Cohn for correcting us on that. Yeah. Also, shout out to Zach Cohn because we asked on the pod for a a definition of... Of course. Of course, when we were talking about of course. And we said, Zach Cohn, if you're listening, give us a little deets. And Zach Cohn is a friend of ours who's absolutely brilliant. We love him dearly. And he sent us this beautiful little essay on the meaning of the phrase of course and it was very detailed. It was really informative, and it's awesome. And <laughs> and we can post it as public to everyone on our Patreon. And he also told us that it was Hertfordshire, not Hertfordshire. So the Shire probably doesn't make sense, but we're gonna still call. Well, it we're gonna call it the Shire, the Shire anyway. Yeah, he says that, and then I really feel like they would just find any reason to be at each other's throats. Yeah, totally. I also think this is a privilege thing. Anyone's like, oh, you could just hop on a flight to this place, and you're like, well, if you have the money to. Yeah, flight to this place. Like we're on a fucking carriage, and sh- she calls him out. She's like, basically, it's very little distance if you have the money to come back and forth all the time. Mm-hmm. But Charlotte's family doesn't have that. He has a bit of a smile on his face, and I wanted to ask about this because it says Elizabeth thinks she understands why he's smiling. He must be supposing her to be thinking of Jane and Netherfield. Her response is, I do not mean to say that a woman may not be settled too near her family. Is she trying to say, I didn't want them to get together? I think she's just trying to save face in this situation because, first of all, I think it's pretty clear that Lizzie misinterpreted the smile. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I think she's saying what he's saying basically is that, of course, it would have been dumb for Jane to move to Netherfield because she would have been like two seconds away from her family. Mm. and Lizzie doesn't... like, no, that would be too close. Yeah, Lizzie doesn't want him to think she's thinking about Jane and Bingley in this moment because she's trying to sort of save face for Jane. You know, again, Mm. it goes back to that whole someone's bringing up your ex around you and you're trying to act casual. Right. And 
there's a certain winning to being like, oh, yeah, no, oh, where is that person? I hadn't really thought of them in, like, five years. What? What? Yeah. Like, tell me more. But, like, I don't care if you tell me more sort of situation. Yeah. But she's doing it vicariously for Jane. Yes. So she says also that the near and far are relative based on the amount of love. So, like, for Charlotte, if this was someone she really loved, it wouldn't be too far. But she thinks that Charlotte wouldn't think it was near at, like, half the distance that they're at right now just because of who she married. She's (laughs) literally sitting in the back room to avoid her husband, so yeah. Yeah. Then he pulls his chair closer to her and says, you cannot have a right to such very strong local attachment. You cannot have always been at Longbourn. What? It says that he, like, draws his chair nearer to her, and I'm just picturing him, like, sitting in the chair and then (laughs) scooting. (laughs) He, like, scoots forward and is, like, trying to be sultry, and he scoots forward towards her. (laughs) And then she just stares at him, and then he scoots his chair back. I feel like it's a difference of whether or not you see Darcy as sometimes awkward but often sort of smooth and sexy or if you see him as a full-blown human disaster well i here's the thing i see him as sometimes smooth and sexy except for the fact that the way that jane austen wrote this says he draws his chair nearer so it sounds like a smooth motion but have you ever drawn your chair forward in a sexy way because i don't know if it's possible (laughs) i have a pretty specific picture of it in my head i'm gonna try to see if i can describe it and if i don't end up being able to you can just cut this all right great so i feel like if you scooch with your butt over yeah it's not gonna be cute no one looks cute scooting in a chair yeah but if you stand and you pull your chair and it's like a lighter chair like a kitchen chair Uh uh-huh and it kind of glides over the so he paused stood up pulled his chair in a sexy way towards her sat down said the thing and then when she didn't reply stood back up and pulled the chair back. <laughs> Would you put it past him? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> you can also look at him like only moving like a little bit forward and then just like, like kind of just being like using leaning in yeah. as a way to also kind of drag the chair with him. Yeah, I'm picturing like him leaning in a little bit sexy and then like when he realizes kind of that she's not into it, he kind of withdraws back a yeah. bit and goes back more into a formal posture. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a hot scene. Let us know what you think. Or draw this for us. <laughs> draw this for us if we have any artists in the group. Please do. It would be so funny to see this. <laughs> Is this their first time alone together? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it depends what you mean by alone because... Like, alone in the house. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because they're always at, like, parties together. Yeah. They, he doesn't come to call on her. That's why she's so surprised. Mm-hmm. But they have also, like, you know, danced together. Yeah. Been, like, in intimate conversations, just the two of them together. So it's not the first time they've talked one-on-one, but it is the first time they are alone together. Okay. Then she doesn't say anything, so he scooches his chair back and asks how she's liking Kent. And my notes just say, what the fuck is happening? I'm so confused. Then Charlotte and Maria come home and are very confused also by this pairing. Mm -hmm. And Darcy gets up and leaves. And Charlotte turns to Lizzie and says, he must be in love with you. And Lizzie's like, nah. No, definitely not. She says he was being super weird. There's no way. That means Lizzie knows less about men than she thought she did. Lizzie knows so little about men. Because men are always weird around you when they like you. Yeah, there would be no other... I mean, okay, not always. Some men really know how to hold their shit together. But there is a certain subset of boys who just like, you know they like you because they stop functioning around you. Darcy is me. I was thinking about this the other day. When I'm not really into the other person and I go on a date, I have the upper hand and I'm like, 
being really cool and I leave and I'm like that went well I don't know if I'll see them again and if I actually like the person I leave and I'm like what did what did I just did I say any words that were words back to the book (laughs) so Lizzie knows nothing about men because if he's acting like a bizarre weirdo it probably does mean he likes you, Lizzie. Yeah. You're just a dummy. And Charlotte knows this because Charlotte is dope. Charlotte's so smart. But first they decide he must have just come over because there's nothing else to do. All that there is to do inside is hang out with Lady Catherine de Berg, play pool and read. Um, but oftentimes the cousins would like walk to the parsonage because they like the walk and they like the ladies and there's no field sports to be played at this time of year. I'm sorry, Darcy does not play field sports i also don't know exactly what field sports means i'm guessing croquet i was gonna say croquet maybe some polo if there's a horse involved oh there oh <laughs> darcy on a horse but he's missing his buddy riding buddy yeah they need to be on a horse together fitzy will take care of him but fitzy's a fitzy's a military man there's I no way he needs to genuinely forgot about fitzy when i was going through this chapter which is a shame because fitz is awesome he's so cool but i was like who are the cousins Who's his cousin? And then I remembered about Fitzy. Then the book says it was clear why Fitzy came to call on them all the time. It's because he likes hanging out with Lizzie and with all of them in general. Lizzie is reminded of Wickham by him, which is an interesting thought. Oh, I wanted to read Lizzie's comparison between him and Wickham. Elizabeth was reminded by her own satisfaction in being with him, as well as by his evident admiration of her, of her former favorite, George Wickham. And though, in comparing them, she saw there was less captivating softness in Colonel Fitzwilliam's manners, she believed he might have the best informed mind. So she believes he's better, but she's also less attracted to him. Yeah, he's smart. Lest we forget, Wickham is hot. Hanukkah. Hot. Past Hanukkah now. (laughs) But yes. (laughs) I'll never stop. But... Nobody's really sure why Darcy keeps calling on them because whenever he comes, he just sits quietly in the corner. Of course he does. Yep. <laughs> he has no ability to function. Zero. He's just sitting there in a chair watching Fitzy talk to Lizzie, getting super jealous and being like, how does he do that? She just like, she smiles at him and she enjoys his company. And oh my God, what if, do you think if I, if I talk about books, maybe the weather, what, what can I do here? <laughs> Oh, no. And <laughs> he's like the oh, no cartoon. Oh, no. You know that guy? No. It's webcomic underscore name. Anyway, it's a little blob guy and like just a, a blob and the blob <laughs> says something and then there's a pain of the blob looking confused and then the blob says, oh, no. That That is Darcy. Yeah. He's a blob of oh, no. And they know that Darcy isn't always like this because Fitzy makes fun of him when they're over. He's like, why are we so quiet? And so... How does no one know except Charlotte that he's so into Lizzie? I don't know. I mean, I guess nobody else is... There's Maria, but she's not really involved. Yeah, she's just chilling. I even forgot she was still there. (laughs) And then there's Collins. So nobody else is speculating. Lizzie's just being dumb. And Charlotte is pretty sure that he's just being shy around Lizzie. And she wants to find out, so she watches him all the time, and she notices him always staring at Lizzie, but never with love. Just kind of staring. I, like, don't have words for it because, like, it's so uncomfortable. (laughs) It's so uncomfortable. And Charlotte suggests to Lizzie several times that she thinks he might have a crush on her, but Lizzie always laughs at it, and Charlotte doesn't want to push it. And her reasoning for not wanting to push it is because she doesn't want to give Lizzie false hope. 
I wasn't sure about this at first, but she thinks if Lizzie supposed Darcy to be in her power, all her dislike would vanish. Well, I think Charlotte is being simultaneously a little dumb and simultaneously pretty smart. Yeah, I mean, in theory, if he didn't like her and Charlotte convinced her that he did, that would be bad. Well, you could read this one of two ways. You could read this as Charlotte kind of seeing this and being like, oh, this really important wealthy man, such a good match for Lizzie Mm. if he's into her. And there's no way Lizzie will turn that down because it's too good an offer. Mm -hmm. In which case, Charlotte's kind of being dumb because Lizzie is known to turn down certain men who are offering her a comfortable living situation. Yes, Uh, we have had this experience before. (laughs) But on the other hand, there's a possibility, and it's not really written into the book, but you could read it into it, that Charlotte kind of sees some of Lizzie's sort of obsession with Darcy and maybe kind of reads into it what we're reading into it which is that lizzie you think about this fella a lot Mm -hmm. maybe just maybe you have something there other than pure hatred so you could read charlotte thinking about that one way or another i think it's a combination of both i think it's left unsaid by jane austen and also that we mostly get this book from the perspective of lizzie although this is kind of from charlotte's perspective but i do think there's a little mesh there of Charlotte being her pragmatic self, but also knowing her friend well. Yeah. To make Lizzie feel better, they just talk about Fitzy and how Lizzie could marry him. And they think he's perfect in every way, except that he lacks patronage in the church where Darcy has some. Is that due to his favoritism with Catherine de Bourgh? Catherine de Bourgh. Bourgh! Yeah, I think it just means he goes to church more. Oh, okay. And the Collinses are like church people because Mr. Collins is a pastor yes yes we knew (laughs) yep so chapter 10 lizzie runs into darcy on her special walk which is something i called i called this i was like i bet this special secret walk of hers Mm. so here's a question to ask do you think that darcy was following her or do you think that darcy just likes (laughs) this walk um no darcy was following her (laughs) so to prevent it happening again she tells him that it's her favorite place to walk Lizzie, are you dumb? She is so... At this point, Jane Austen is kind of pointing at us and going, look how blind she is to his love for her. She's so dumb. She thinks, like, you know, telling him that it's her favorite place will turn him away because they obviously have equal hatred for each other. So how odd that it should happen again. (laughs) But it keeps happening. And she thinks that it is either willful ill nature or voluntary penance. I looked up penance because I didn't know what it meant. (laughs) And it means self-punishment for having done wrong. So she thinks that because every time they bump into each other, he turns around and walks with her, that he is punishing himself for having done something wrong. So odd. Odd that he would choose that. So weird, right? So at first they don't talk much, but then she notices. By the second or third time, she notices that he's asking a bunch of odd, disconnected questions. (laughs) Like, oh, I don't know, maybe trying to get to know you, Literally, you can just picture Darcy walking out to the garden because he knows Lizzie's going to walk there. And then being like, okay, today... You're going to ask her this. Yeah. You're going to do it. This is what I... Come on, Fitzwilliam. I wrote that I want all of this, like, as a montage from Darcy's perspective. And it's, like, him walking with her every day and, like, getting to know her a little bit better and asking a deeper question. And from her perspective, it's like, what are all of these weird... What? (laughs) And from his perspective, he's, like, check, marking down his list. And the thing is, he's actually courting her in a really normal way. I mean, he himself is doing a disaster job of it yes but it is so normal to go visit the girl you like 
and chat with her. It is so normal to meet her on walks and Mm -hmm. talk to her and try to get to know her. Those are, to this day, kind of normal things to do when you're trying to date somebody. (laughs) And Lizzie just is totally blanking. She's like, what's he doing here? From the first moment that he said she was, quote, tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt him oh yeah she has just assumed his opinion has not wavered and we come back to that later yes some of his disconnected questions are asking about hunsford asking about how she likes to walk asking about mr and mrs collins and oh speaking of rosings you'll probably be staying there next time you come to kent and she thinks huh is he saying i'll be staying at rosings because he thinks that maybe fitzwilliam's gonna ask me to marry him Lizzie. Oh, honey. This is Lizzie's dumbest set of chapters. Like, not the last one, but these two. Yeah. She's like, she's still smart, but she's really being dumb. Yeah. So one day she's walking and she's reading a letter from Jane and she looks up and sees none other than Fitzwilliam. Ah, we love Fitzy. Go on. Fitzy. (laughs) And she decides to turn back and walk with him back to the parsonage. And she asks if they're leaving on Saturday and he says, Oh, yes, unless Darcy puts it off again. And I just, my jaw just fell to the floor, and I was like, oh, my God, he's been delaying and delaying. Yeah. And it's cute, and it's gross, and it's adorable. (laughs) I just can't with Darcy trying to woo Lizzie Bennet. It's so cute. It's so cute, but it's also so awkward. It's so silly. He's secretly putting off his departure so he can like work up the courage to ask her out oh god in this in this world to ask her out meaning to ask her this also does imply that he practiced what happens later a lot which darcy darcy (laughs) we'll get there we'll get there but lizzie says oh well you know nobody likes having their own way better than darcy and he replies that darcy has the means to have his own way since he's rich and others are poor and then he says, quote, a younger son must be inured, 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 inured to self-denial and dependence. Inured means accustomed. So basically he's saying as the younger son, I'm used to not having my own way. And Lizzie's like, um, you're the younger son of an earl. Yeah, she's basically like, boo fucking who. Yeah. And he says, you're right, you're right. I'm fine usually, but I can't marry who I like. There it is. And that's his way of being like, you're hot girl, but nah. Yeah, basically saying you're not rich enough for me. and Which I like because this is genuinely kind of just like a platonic friendship in the story for the most yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. It's except for that she really likes him. Yeah, but she, even though she kind of likes him, like she enjoys him as a person, she's not like, when she was into Wickham, she like was seeking him out. She was seeking him out, but then she was, quote, fine, unquote, when he found someone else. yeah. All right, whatever. But like to the same extent, like you don't hear Lizzie being like, oh, I have to make sure my legs are shaved for Fitzwilliam. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, not that she she did. did She did turn around and walk back with him. Mm -hmm. And she's thinking, is this for me? Like, is he trying to tell me that, you know, all of the things that we just Mm -hmm. said? And then they just sort of joke about money and then they walk for a while in silence and then she says that she imagines that darcy just brought him along to have a friend around because he likes to have someone around and she thinks he should marry someone for that same purpose but for now his sister will do because quote he may do what he likes with her i know that's not meant to be gross but janie that's not the best phrasing to talk about siblings yeah so then we find out that fitzwilliam shares guardianship of baby darcy oh it just means that like he's basically 
So Darcy's parents are gone, so he's basically raising Georgie. He is or Darcy is? Darcy and Fitzy's helping. Okay, so they're close. Yeah. Okay, so my theory there is wrong, right? No, no, Fitzy is not engaged to Georgiana. Cool, I just had a moment thinking... Oh, you know. no, no. Baby um, D's a little, um, she's still a little young okay. to be married. But she is engaged. I mean, they do want Bingley to marry her. She's Lydia's age, which is to say she's, like, not of the realm of marriage age, but, like, not when people are expecting her to get married. Okay. Exactly. So Lizzie then asks, basically, if Baby D is the worst, and he kind of gives her a look that says she is, and she says, oh, don't worry, like, I haven't heard anything but good things from Caroline and Louisa. You know them, and he's like, oh, I, I know of them because they're the sisters of a good friend of Darcy's. And Lizzie's like, yeah, he takes good care of Bingley, and Fitzy says, indeed, Bingley is indebted to him. And I'm just going to read you what he says. Oh, yeah, just read it. So he says, from something that he told me in our journey hither, I have reason to think Bingley is very much indebted to him. But I ought to beg his pardon, for I have no right to suppose that Bingley was the person meant. It was all conjecture. What is it you mean? It is a circumstance which Darcy, of course, could not wish to be generally known, because if it were to get round to the lady's family, it would be an unpleasant thing. You may depend upon my not mentioning it. And remember that I have not much reason for supposing it to be Bingley. What he told me was merely this, that he congratulated himself on having lately saved a friend from the inconveniences of a most imprudent marriage, but without mentioning any names or other particulars. And I only suspected it to be Bingley from believing him the kind of young man to get in a scrape of that sort, and from knowing them to have been together the whole of last summer. Woof! My notes say, fuck no. Fuck no. This is one of those, like, Twilight Zone moments of just like, what? What? How dare he? Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, from the get-go, when Bingley left... The assumption was, oh, Caroline fucked shit up. Yeah, we thought it was Caroline. And yeah. I, but I do remember saying at some point, did Darcy do something? And do you remember me keeping a poker face? Becca didn't say anything, so I just kept moving. But here we are. Darcy did something. Fitzy says that there are some strong objections against the lady. And then Lizzie's pissed. And Fitzy asks why she's pissed. And she says, who was he to be the judge of Bingley's relationship? Yeah, who, who is he? And what did he do? I want to know what he did to get them all to leave. And then she says it's unfair, though, to blame him since they don't know the particulars, but... She's she gonna is, blame him she anyway. She is blaming him anyway. <laughs> then she goes back to her room and she angsts about it. Oh yeah, she just sits there. Have you ever gotten, like, a piece of information that is, like, a real shock and you just need to sit there and think about, like, all of the interactions with a person that you've had mm -hmm. and been like, fuck, this whole time I was wrong about something. Mm -hmm. That's what she's basically doing here. Yeah. She thinks, like, there's no way that it's anyone but Bingley. There are not two men in this world who Darcy has such complete influence over. And she's upset that she's wrong about Caroline. She is angry about his pride being the cause of Jane's suffering. Guess what? What? It's in the title. And she starts thinking about the objections that there must be against, quote, the lady. And she knows that it's the fact that she has one uncle who's a country attorney and another who's in business, a.k.a. she's not as rich as him. Oh, yeah. And she reasons with herself, saying no one could possibly object to Jane herself. No one could possibly object to their father. True. 
well, you certainly don't object to I it, don't. the father. And then she thinks about their mom, and she's like, damn. But then she thinks, you know, you know what, Mr. Darcy's pride would receive a deeper wound from the want of importance in his friend's connections than from their want of sense. So her mom is fine. Because she's just silly. She is silly. Then she decides that the reason he did it was because he wanted to retain Charlie for his sister, baby D. And then she cries. And she cries for a long time. And she gets a headache. Very relatable content. Super relatable. Did that the other night. And (laughs) honey, I'm fine. (laughs) And then she stays in and everyone else goes to Rosings. And Collins is a little nervous about that but he was like well i don't know will Catherine de berg get over me not bringing my house guest one night and that's the end of that chapter so we can move on to chapter 11 time to roll up our sleeves on this one oh my god if i had sleeves to roll up (laughs) here i do i'm rolling them up for you thank you yeah okay here we go most of my notes for this chapter are just like one word all caps oh my god so lizzie does a very relatable thing intending to exasperate herself as much as possible against mr darcy goes through every letter jane has written to her since she left for london and tries to find proof of how upset she is so that she can blame darcy for more things she's thinking about how glad she is that he's leaving so soon she's sad that he's taking fitzy with him but she's like you know what it's fine fitzy has no intentions with me because of money because of money doorbell darcy he inquires after her health saying he's like he was really worried when he heard that she was sick (laughs) again it would be so nice to get this from darcy's perspective because she's not come to rosings that night and so he leaves rosings and runs i imagine he ran he's oh my gosh oh my gosh (laughs) so you know how when lizzie runs or walks she walks to netherfield and he's like ooh. She's all sweaty and so now he's all sweaty. He's all sweaty. I pictured him like very disheveled and she opens the door and he like falls in and he's like, How are you? I made soup. Yeah. So he asks how she is. Then he just starts pacing around the room and then he turns to her and he says, Well, I gotta tell you, I love you. Wait, wait, pull up the exact quote because it's actually extraordinarily famous. phenomenal oh my god i'm so excited okay he turns to her in an agitated manner and says in vain i have struggled it will not do my feelings will not be repressed you must allow me to tell you how ardently i admire and love you (gasps) mic drop yes well he doesn't drop the mic he keeps it and and it it all goes downhill from there it's like if you had just stopped there darcy and given her a minute Maybe things would have been different for you. And yet, here we are. And yet, here we are. I honestly, my notes don't make any sense. It says, he love her, OMG. (laughs) (laughs) He just, he starts going on and on about how he's loved her for so long. But is mixed in. He was not more eloquent on the subject of tenderness than of pride. And then... Should I just read it? Oh, yeah, you should just, just read honestly, it. Honestly, I could just... I'm not going to read the, the whole the chapter. The whole but... dialogue in this chapter is just Phenomenal. pure gold, if not platinum, in terms of writing. So, Elizabeth's astonishment was beyond expression. She stared, colored, doubted, and was silent. Same. This he considered sufficient encouragement. Um, no. And the avowal of all that he felt and had long felt for her immediately followed. He spoke well, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be detailed, and he was not more eloquent on the subject of tenderness than of pride. His sense of her inferiority 
of its being a degradation, of family obstacles which judgment had always opposed to inclination, were dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was wounding, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. So we've got a nice little return to negging. Oh, deep negging. This is some hardcore negging. How many times does this girl have to get proposed to and then hear that she's not good enough? So you posted a meme the other day before you read these chapters. Which one? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh my God, I did. Y'all, I'm in charge of the social media. And every time I want to make a post, I ask Becca to find a meme so it can be spoiler free. Now, I found one on my own because someone posted it on their Instagram story and I decided to repost it. And it says, I'm looking at it now with totally fresh eyes. So it's Jim and Dwight. And Jim is holding the sign that says zero days since our last. And then words inserted so it says it's from spark notes shout out to spark notes i'll follow your, you soon your instagram is amazing spark notes a day in the life of elizabeth bennett zero days since our last extremely insulting marriage proposal and she thought that was just talking about mr collins because this was when i had assigned these chapters to read so she sent me this meme and i almost responded oh you read the chapter i'm so glad you didn't yeah. <laughs> and instead i was like wait she definitely hasn't she would have texted me about it which she did later and so I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, cute. I found that meme, too. And I didn't tell her that I didn't give it to her because I thought it contained spoilers, which it does. It does. It contains spoilers, but I didn't get it. <laughs> Lizzie deals with so much fuckery from these so men. And they're all the time proposing to her being like, listen, you have no money. I understand this. Your whole family is a disaster. And but... in spite of myself, I've decided to take you on. Yeah, <laughs> fuck them. And so that happens it's not a good look for our boy oh very very tough for darcy Darcy. very bad hello it's molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts hot and bothered hosted by returning pot and prejudice guest vanessa zoltan is a podcast that treats romance as sacred You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now, Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. 
Despite her deeply rooted dislike, she could not be insensible to the compliment of such a man's affection. He's very rich. And basically he's saying, I'm so in love with you that I don't need a marriage connection. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm I with know. Lizzie on this. I know. Also, can we talk about the fact that he basically, I'm picturing what happens. He's like, I love you. And then she's just standing there silently, just going slightly red in the face. And he takes that as an invitation to continue and starts rambling about how much her family sucks and how much he loves her in spite of himself. And to think about the fact, as you pointed out earlier, that he's been putting off their departure so that he could practice this and get it right. So he's in the mirror being like, I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I love you. I know it's weird that I would love you, but (laughs) I do. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Nailed it. Nailed it. (laughs) Luckily, Lizzie doesn't, you know, feel the compliment of his affection for too long because first she feels bad that she's going to turn him down. And then as he goes on, she stops caring that she's going to turn him down. He concludes by declaring that despite all his efforts to stop loving her, he still does. And will she marry him also? I decided I can't stop myself from the stupid feeling of loving you. So therefore, I've just decided to resign myself to the fact that I do. Will you marry me? Oh, and she can tell that he thinks that she's going to say yes. And then she says... If she could feel gratitude, she would thank him for this offer, but she cannot feel gratitude towards him, so she will not. She says she never desired his good opinion, and now that she has it, she thinks he gave it to her most unwillingly, which he did. She says, sorry for hurting you, but I hope you'll get over it quickly. I'm sure you will. And he gets surprised, and then he gets angry. Basically, she's like, um, sorry if I led you on. I didn't do it on purpose, but no. Yeah. And he's like, wait, what? And then he says... (laughs) And this is all the reply which I am to have the honor of expecting. I might perhaps wish to be informed why, with so little endeavor at civility, I am thus rejected, but it is of small importance. Again, boys, don't go angry on a rejection. Don't assume that there's more to come after. I mean, I know that we are reading this book and there's a lot of book to come, but, like, take the no. Yeah. Also, it's not of small importance. You know it's not. And she cuts back with, why did you tell me that you loved me completely against your will, reason, and character? Is that not a reason for me to be uncivil? And then she says, also, why did you ruin my sister's life by, like, taking Bingley away from her? Well, what is the exact wording there? Because it's good. Had not my own feelings decided against you, had they been indifferent, or had they even been favorable, do you think that any consideration would tempt me to accept the man who has been the means of ruining, perhaps forever, the happiness of a most beloved sister. Bam! Vicious. Vicious. That is like a two punch. If the two of them are in a boxing ring right now, she just landed a blow. Mm-hmm. Then she says, I have every reason in the world to think ill of you. And he Ooh. looks at her with a smile of affected credulity and she asks then if he can deny that he did that and he doesn't deny it in fact he says towards him i have been kinder than towards myself so that's basically him saying like i tried to stop him from marrying someone of your uh status status and i want to do it anyway which also like hypocrite darcy yes it's fuck you yeah and then she brings up wickham as another reason why she hates him And I was thinking, like, this is basically just the airing of the grievances. Oh, this is the confrontation that has been coming since the moment he insulted her. Yeah, she's been waiting, and she's gonna bring that back up, too. She's Like she said, from the moment I met you, I hated you. I have every reason to hate you. And she's gonna list them now. Oh, yeah. So we have, oh, you ruined my sister's happiness. You insulted my family. You ruined the life of the hottest man on Earth. Mm -hmm. And he's just 
standing there. And I think to this point, Darcy did not know that Lizzie hated him. He thought their banter was witty repartee. Yeah, he did. And you could tell that he did. Yeah. And I mean, on some level, he's not wrong about No, it's that. hot. It's super hot. We, yeah. we, we understand that. But he's sitting there being like, oh, I thought this was all just like fun and games. But she's being like, no, I fucking hate you. Yeah. And <laughs> when she brings up Wickham, he's like, uh. And he says, you take an eager interest in that gentleman's concerns. And she says, yeah, well, he's had a lot of misfortunes. And Darcy's like, sure. And Lizzie says that Darcy's reduced him to a state of comparative poverty. And really, they're all quite privileged to talk about poverty in this way. I mean, yeah, they are. But Wickham is kind of the poorest person in this book. He is. Sure. So it's all relative, but yeah, he basically did ruin his life by Wickham's story, but the level of jealousy Darcy is displaying in this moment, which is so clear, because mm-hmm. again, I'm proposing to the woman I love, and all she's gonna do is bring up George Wickham. Yeah. <laughs> then he, he thanks her for laying out her feelings about him so plainly, but says that maybe she would have overlooked all of these things had not your pride been hurt by my honest confession of the scruples that had long prevented my forming any serious design. And what does he say to that? Do you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your connections? To congratulate myself on the hope of relations whose condition in life is so decidedly beneath my own. That is the pride. That's his pride. But he's also saying to her in this moment that she has some pride because he says she would be overlooking all of this stuff if he hadn't told her that she was beneath him, like insulted her pride. And what else does Lizzie have in this moment? Prejudice! There it is! (laughs) And... Then she says, you are mistaken, Mr. Darcy, if you suppose that the mode of your declaration affected me in any other way than as it spared me the concern which I might have felt in refusing you, had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner. She saw him start at this, but he said nothing. She continued. You could not have made me the offer of your hand in any possible way that it would have tempted me to accept it. Again, his astonishment was obvious and he looked at her with an expression of mingled incredulity and mortification. She went on. From the very beginning, from the first moment, I may almost say, of my acquaintance with you, your manners impressing me with the fullest belief of your arrogance, your conceit, and your selfish disdain of the feeling of others were such as to form that groundwork of disapprobation on which succeeding events have built so immovable a dislike and I had not known you a month before I felt that you were the last man in the world whom I could ever be prevailed on to marry boom well every time I read a paragraph I started to put the book down and Becca pulls it back because it keeps going it keeps going it gets more vicious like when you hate someone you wish you could say those words to them the viciousness the perfect annihilation of every single ounce of his self-esteem. Listen, I have my own feelings on Darcy. I'm not going to talk about because I am also not going to give away anything else that happens in this book. But in this moment, he has been so insulting to her as he confesses his love and just seeing her take him and literally rip out his, not literally, figuratively (laughs) rip out his jugular with her bare hands is one of the most satisfying moments in feminist literature ever. And then what Jane Austen does is brilliant because we're riding this high of Lizzie just tearing into him and then we get you have said quite enough madam I perfectly comprehend your feelings and have now only to be ashamed of what my own have been forgive me for having taken up so much of your time but accept my best wishes for your health and happiness and I wrote but wait (laughs) then he runs away and then he leaves here's the thing 
so satisfying. Lizzie is doing the thing. She is doing what she's been waiting to do this entire book. And she just goes so hard at him that she succeeds. And when she succeeds, he leaves because she's finally hurt him enough to get him to go away. And then she goes into her room and she just, as though everything has been torn out of her, she just like breaks and she just sobs for half an hour. Whew. And That's so relatable. Okay, quick round of applause for Jane Austen for writing this chapter because it is one of the most brilliantly written chapters in history. So good. Ugh. She's astonished that he should have been in love with her for so many months, so much in love as to wish to marry her in spite of all the objections which had made him prevent his friends marrying her sister and all of these things. But, that, but you know, she is then like, oh, his pride. It's terrible, his pride. Something I loved about this paragraph is that there are so many exclamation points followed by lowercase letters, which to delve into a little Shakespearean text analysis. Go for it, go for it. Um, the punctuation and the capitalization show in this moment that she is just, her mind is racing. She doesn't even have time to start a new thought. Oh no, she's just spewing her pure emotions. Yeah, it's just going. Oh. And she doesn't feel guilty about turning him down because of his pride and how he hurt Jane and how he hurt Wickham and how he hurt her the first moment that they met. And then she hears Lady Catherine's carriage arriving and she's like, I can't face Charlotte right now. And she goes into her room and cries. Same. And that's the end of those chapters. And that is the end of those chapters. Those were doozies. Those were really doozies. Woo! Which brings us to Becca's study questions. Ooh, I'm excited for these. <clears throat> so, the first one is, we are shook by our third proposal, Graham the Sound Effect. <laughs> cool. <laughs> How does this compare to Lizzie's last proposal? We talked about this a bit mm -hmm. with Mr. Collins. How's oh it similar? God. How's it different? Well, similar in that it's very insulting. So insulting. <laughs> different in that it seems to actually have a lot of emotion behind it. Oh, yeah. And Mr. Collins was sort of practiced like, I will do this nice thing when mm -hmm. I marry you. Yeah, and Lizzie was insulted by that, but she also did, I think, in turning him down, she was kind of like trying to let him down easy. She did not do anything near what she did here. Oof. I also wonder, like I've wondered this for years, how Lizzie would have turned him down if she didn't just find out that information about Jane. Mm. Because her emotions are so raw and fresh for her sister. Yeah, she is pissed at Darcy already. Yeah. But... No, I think his marriage proposal elicited the response that she gave him. Not only are both proposals insulting, both assume that she'll obviously say yes. Ugh! Because they're both convenient matches for her. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. For different reasons, too. Collins is offering her way less money and comfort, but he is offering her her own money that is currently mm. being taken She's from her. He's offering her to stay at her house. Yeah. So that mm -hmm. is one piece of the puzzle. But Darcy is offering her high society. Comfort forever. It's, it's so it's a different. You know what's interesting? Darcy doesn't need to marry up. No, he doesn't. So he can shut his fucking face. Like with what Fitzwilliam was saying to Lizzie on their walk, he was like, "Not a lot of men in my position can marry without thinking about money," because he's a younger son. Mm -hmm. And with that, I understood what he was saying. I was like, he's trying to tell her that despite the fact that he would like to marry her, he has to take it into consideration. Darcy doesn't have to take it into consideration because he's already rich. Yeah, which is why he can marry Lizzie if so he wants to. fuck him. 
for saying any of that stuff. Well, like I said, first of all, shout out to Fitzy for giving the economics of dating in the Austin period <laughs> lecture that I give every episode yep. for me. Yep, it was good. It was, he, he laid it out very neatly. Yep. I didn't need to ask any questions. Exactly. Second of all, I would say that not only do people need to think about money a lot of the time when they're marrying in this time period because they need it to survive or to grow their fortunes, Darcy should be thinking about it in terms of pragmatism because, again, they're trying to consolidate wealth at the top of society. Yeah. And so it's more of a propriety thing than a necessity thing, sure. if that makes sense. But he wants to bone Lizzie Bennet too badly for that. He's still thinking about her coming to him all flushed after Rattle. walking through the fucking rain. Yeah. Anyway, so you kind of touched on the next question already, which is how do Lizzie's reactions between the Collins proposal and the Darcy proposal vary? For Collins, again, it was more nice <laughs> she said no but she didn't like attack his character no no and i think there's a lot less hatred for yeah, mr collins she doesn't hate soul. mr collins now even yeah she's like, staying she's, at his house yeah she's not mad at him for marrying charlotte either only because he's less good than charlotte but yeah, she's mad at him about that but she's not like she's not insulted and then you have how she reacts to darcy proposing and i have to say that <laughs> well she is angry at him for everything that he has said she's angry about her sister she's angry about everything that he did there's a lot of emotion behind that response is there not oh i would say so so that's all i gotta say about that austin again writing so well for her characters because i would say this is the first time that you really do see the raw emotions in this book because everything's very proper until this really unlaced moment where they're sort of ripping apart all of society's norms and just coming for each other big. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to read. There's one more thing I want to point out about the differences between the two proposals in Lizzie's reaction is that Lizzie was not surprised by the Collins proposal, but she was mm -hmm. very surprised by the Darcy proposal. Yeah, the Collins proposal was already so long ago. What was her response? So she knew he had a thing for oh, her. Oh, right. Yeah, he made that pretty clear. Yes, because she was like, oh, wait, he's actually, like, paying special mind to complimenting me. I'm not going to deal with it. And then yeah, her yeah. mom just, like, leaves the room and she's like, I'll see you later. And she's like, or you can stay. Right. So she kind of knew it was coming. And when it did come, she was like, oh, God, no, it's happening now. Whereas this is completely spontaneous. She just is so taken off guard. So caught off guard. And I think it does actually affect the way she responds to it in a big way. Yeah, this is an unfiltered response. Exactly. Remember what I said when Mrs. Bennett was insulting Darcy? It's actually kind of a big deal to insult a guy of Darcy's standing in society. And let me tell you. It didn't stop him from falling in love with Lizzie. There is a meme I am so excited to send you. Oh, fuck yeah. It involves Nick Miller. You're going to love it. <laughs> Nick Miller, Mr. Darcy. Have we talked about this already? Oh, no, we have not. Are we sure? Because we might have. I don't know. But anyway, Nick Miller is Mr. Darcy. A little, yeah. So angsty and so awkward and so like when grumpy. he has, so grumpy and when he has an emotion, he's like, I gotta run away. Like the scene where he gets on the train with Reagan and then he tells her, I'm gonna go to the bathroom and then he simply gets off the train and runs away. <laughs> That's Mr. Darcy. That is absolutely Mr. Darcy. All right, so next question. Do you think any of Lizzie's words reached Darcy and how? I think they did. At and first, they did not. Because at first, he was like, well, sh sure, you're saying that now, but... Nah, 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 nah. That's actually the beautiful words that Jane Austen wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she really starts digging into him, mm, he leaves.
leaves, he's hurt. He's genuinely hurt. Did they reach him? Does he know what he did wrong? That's harder to say. Well, I, I'm not going to tell you I one know, way or I'm another. I know, I'm just thinking. Because he says, you've said enough. I understand now how you feel. But does he know what he did wrong? Is he going to change? That I don't know. There's something wrong with him fundamentally as a human. He's classist. Mm-hmm. This is a very good question, Becca. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. <laughs> I had another life somewhere as an English high school teacher. Oh, man, I don't know. I think he's hurt. I think he needs time to think about it. I don't know if they reached him yet. Okay, I will not comment on it. Okay. So the next question I have goes back a bit, and it's something we already talked about a bit, but the big reveal that Darcy was the agent of Jane's misery mm-hmm. is a huge bomb to drop on the story yeah because up until then we have sort of the things he has said to lizzie that have been insulting and annoying we have the story wickham tells which is sort of shrouded in a little mystery so you don't exactly know what happened there right but this is the first concrete example we have of darcy doing something really awful we don't know why we don't know what happened there and I, yeah i want to know what happened like what exactly he did because bingley left and then the rest of them left after that and i don't think that he operated alone it's interesting because all i can really picture is bingley left and he was only gonna be gone for like three days and then the rest of them like caroline and darcy mostly and then the other two are like there also are sitting there thinking maybe we should go and then he won't want to come back here that's what i'm picturing but i don't know why and i don't know how exactly that would ruin bingley's whole thing I wonder if Darcy, like, said something to Bingley. Mm -hmm. Like, did he say, oh, you know, your money, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know what he did. So the only thing, I'm not going to give any spoilers. The only thing I'll say about your theory is just to remind you of the last major interaction between the Bingleys and the Bennets. It's at the ball at Netherfield when Mrs. Bennet was, like, loud and drunk well, she might not have been drunk, but we decided she was on cloud Cloud wine. And Mary made a big scene and Mr. Collins made a big scene. Mary made a scene? Oh yeah, she sang. Hell yeah, Mary made a scene. (laughs) (laughs) Our favorite little introvert. Oh, and then Collins went up to Darcy Darcy and and fucking bowed. And Lizzie was like, no, come back, come back. So I'm not going to comment on how that plays into everything. I just wanted to remind you that that's the last time we saw the Bingleys. Okay, I'm thinking about it. Okay, So the next thing, it's kind of a little side question, but Fitzy brings up Baby D again. And I wanted to ask if you're developing any clearer a picture of Georgie Darcy or no. The only things I'm really getting right now from that conversation, at least, was that she's easily manipulated and controlled and kind of like goes with whatever her family and friends want. Mm -hmm. Except no, no, because what Lizzie says is, And pray, what sort of guardian do you make? Does your charge give you much trouble? Young ladies of her age are sometimes a little difficult to manage. And if she has the true Darcy spirit, she may like to have her own way. And then it says, as she spoke, she observed him looking at her earnestly. And the manner in which he immediately asked her why she supposed Miss Darcy likely to give them any uneasiness convinced her that she had somehow or other got pretty near the truth. She directly replied, you need not be frightened. I have never heard any harm of her. And I dare say she is one of the most tractable creatures in the world. Tractable meaning easy to influence. Mm -hmm. So it seems that actually reverse of what I said before, she's more like Darcy and like likes to have her own way and likes to like boss people around but then lizzie's like no no no, she's very good 
was that a coherent response to that question? Not totally, but, <laughs> okay. it, but it was cool. <laughs> I mean, right. she's just an interesting character, I think, so far in the book, just because you don't know her. Yeah, I know nothing about her except that she's hot, talented, smart. Uh, and then Darcy's a good brother. Yeah. Darcy loves her. Yeah. And maybe she's going to get married to Bingley. She seems to be, like, her own character in the book at this point, but she is only through like talking which we had with Catherine de Berg. Yeah. But now we actually but now met we her. know her and we sort of even know baby de Berg. And I'm not going to comment on whether or not uh you're going to meet Georgie or if she's just mm, a or sort if we of just presence keep hearing about her in the book, but I think she's an interesting thing to return to as we are reading this book. Cool. All right. The next question I have is about the actual scene itself in chapter 11. Chapter 11, a.k.a. the disaster proposal. One of the disaster proposals. The biggest I, disaster. I would say this is the disaster proposal to end all disaster proposals. Yes, this is the Armageddon proposal. <laughs> exactly. That is the theme of this episode, yeah. the Armageddon proposal. Yes. So this is one of the most famous scenes in Jane Austen's work and also possibly in literature in general. Wow! Like, it is a hugely famous scene. And oh, my God. I wanted to talk about why and also why it's so timeless because mm-hmm. I, I don't actually have an answer to those questions mm-hmm. other than the fact that it's beautifully written. It's but so I wanted, well done. I wanted to hear your thoughts on why the scene resonates today. Well, I think for me personally, she has a heart gut response, blurts it out. You get the pacing of this scene really well. So it's like thing happens You see her response shifting as it's happening, which is really cool. And then, like, the outburst. And then all of her energy getting expelled. And you, like, can feel the fight and, like, the tension. And how, like, neither of them are really controlling what they say anymore. And then it's over. And she just is by herself. And she's crying. And you're like, why is she crying? She got what she wanted. But it explains why she's crying. And you're like, oh. And you feel that with her. And I feel like that is something that every single character goes through at some point like getting what they wanted and then realizing like did I want that or like having the opposite response that they would have thought yeah yeah Yeah. I think that's totally true I think that's not even just a character thing I think that's a human thing yeah it's a human thing every person honestly I mean I have a guilt complex Mm-hmm. And if I get in a fight with anyone, I'm immediately like, oh my god, it was my fault, it was my fault. I don't think Lizzie's going through that per se, but she does doubt herself a little bit right after. Immediately, yeah. I also think the scene is, you were right about it being this heart-gut moment for Lizzie and for Darcy, too, who is yeah. a buttoned-up character. Who's, like, been planning this for days. Oh god. <laughs> but then it's happening and he's like... He does the worst job he possible. Does, he tries... First... It was already going to be bad. But then when her response comes, he's like, (gasps) and his response is also heart gut. Part of it is the placement of it in this book, which is such a careful and polite romance in general. Mm -hmm. All the romances in the book are. Oh my God, I love that this is so messy. And it's so messy and it's so human. And I think one of the things that you and I both love about classics are that they're classics for a reason. They're classics for a reason. I feel like that's what we're trying to explore in this podcast in general. Totally. And I think that it's so powerful how true to life it is that even as we're all sort of bound by these social norms, Mm -hmm. which today are different than the social norms in the Austin era, there are these moments you have with people that are so visceral and particularly moments of like extreme anger and love mixed together are the sloppiest and most interesting life has to offer. And this is one of the best written snippets of anger, love, and messiness all mixed together. And it's in this book 
it so resonates today with how we experience love and heartbreak and anger at a person who has wronged us and complicated feelings, I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, it was written in, what, like the 1700s? It was published in the early 19th century, so the 1800s. Okay. But, like, yeah, it's it's an old book. It's an old book, and it just goes to show that, like, people back then were just a big mess of yeah. emotions, too. Exactly. That's sort of what I'm getting at, and I feel this way about Shakespeare. I know you do, too. Yeah. It's that, like, human beings, despite having different norms and societies we've always had these extremely complicated messy emotions yeah and we've always in the end given way to them in the same way which is just like blah exactly and then just crying yeah it can't always be neat and calculated the way the rest of this book is yeah it sometimes is like going into your room and crying because you can't face your friend after this thing happened and you don't know how to feel about it and the magic of authors like jane austen who are timeless are their ability to capture those moments smartly and with a lot of heart and feeling and that's why I think this scene is so timeless and today stands out as one of the simultaneously most iconic scenes in a rom-com ever but also as the most disastrous proposal in all of classic literature. And it's interesting because like while I was reading this in the coffee shop I was responding to it like I was watching it on TV. Hands in my hair covering my face like I didn't know what to do (laughs) and It was like, I wasn't reading a book that was so old. I was just reading a book. I was just like watching a rom-com or like experiencing it myself. And I think this is something that maybe people are turned off by Jane Austen when they're like, oh, I want to read it, but it's so dated and old language and like not easily accessible. Accessible. And it's these moments where you're like, it's just people. Yeah. (laughs) It's just a lot of Colin Firth and Keira Knightley. Yeah. (laughs) And that. Together. (laughs) All right, so that leads us to our final three questions that we finish every episode Mm with. Funniest quote? So this is the moment where Lizzie keeps running into Darcy on the walk that she goes on. (laughs) Amazing. She felt all the perverseness of the mischance that should bring him where no one else was brought, and to prevent its ever happening again, took care to inform him at first that it was a favorite haunt of hers. How it could occur a second time, therefore, was very odd, yet it did. And even a third. Lizzie, you're so dumb. So dumb. Questions moving forward? Well. Everything. This isn't a question so much as a prediction, but I think she's going to wake up in the morning and Darcy's going to be gone. And I wonder how this is going to affect Bingley's situation for Jane, if there is still a situation to be had, because we know that Darcy has power to do evil things. I'm curious about Georgie Darcy and that whole thing with Bingley and, and... because Darcy maybe took Bingley away because he wanted to secure him for Georgie. Like, is he going to move forward with that, knowing that it hurt Lizzie so much? I don't know. Good questions. Thank you. Who wins the chapters? (gasps) I don't know. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it's probably got to be Lizzie, right? I was going to say, but I actually had a different winner in mind if you're down for it. Who? Jane Austen. Well, yes, she really did write a good book here. Yes, I just, I think this scene is so good that we just gotta give props to Janie for... Let's give, yeah, because honestly, like, Lizzie's having a time. Yeah, I mean, the the iconic speech that I made you read entirely out loud. So good, but also just, like, 
everything about how this part was written was perfect down to the punctuation at the end and the back and forth and how one paragraph was Darcy and the second paragraph was Lizzie thinking during Darcy's speech brilliant so Jane this one's for you we love you Janie that's why we're we're here doing this yeah Okay, guys, that concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. It's been a doozy, Truly. as we've said a few times. Next time, we'll be back and we'll be figuring out what's going to happen next in the book with Elizabeth and Fitzwilliam. Truly have no idea. And Team Dizzy out here. Hangs my head in shame. And until then, uh, stay proper and... Find yourself a life partner. Pot and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick with art by Torrance Brown. Special thanks to our audio producer, Graham Cook, without whom we would sound like garbage fire. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and Prejudice. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash podandprejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening!